my husband and I just returned two weeks ago from a hastily arranged trip to Naperville, Illinois, a western suburb of Chicago. That's where my parents, 93 and 88, have lived for the past 51 years. 51 years in the home they moved to after I graduated from high school outside Memphis. They dropped me off in Tennessee is how I tell the story. Because except for summers and holidays, I went to university and got married and have lived my entire adult life here in this state. My younger sisters and parents, well, they settled there. I think, though, that if you had a loving and blessed upbringing as I did, where your family of origin lives, is still home. So that hastily arranged trip was a gathering of my three younger sisters and me and our husbands to move our parents from that big home with all four bedrooms upstairs and into a two-bedroom apartment in a senior living complex. We'd finally, I guess, worn down our dad with our worries about his falls, worries about their isolation most of the time because age. And then our dad suddenly agreed to go. Papers were signed. An apartment was available right then, a miracle. Time for us to pack up and move our folks' dwelling place starting June 8th. In a little over a week's time, we'd packed about 13 million books, a few of which could go with our mom. Some of her china, although with meals in a dining room, she wouldn't need much. We sorted her clothes that had encroached like an occupying force into all four of the bedroom closets. We packed all the paintings and prints and then the hard decisions. My mom's wedding dress, no one was going to want. Photographs, we were going to have to figure out how to archive. Mom's beautiful and very large china cabinet. What makes home? How much of the stuff would make a comforting nest for our mom and dad? Knowing it's the right decision to move to safety and drastically downsize is different from the grief, the confusion, and the one more big loss in a rapidly increasing account of losses old age brings. These shifting sands of what constitutes home was intensely disquieting for my mom and dad. Yale Divinity School theologian Miroslav Volf in a most recent book begins with the obvious. He says, no keen observation is required to see that something is amiss in the world more than something, many things. Everything is awry and has been awry, the primordial and indestructible goodness of the creation notwithstanding. There's an abiding out of jointness to things, witnessed but not exhausted by the abiding disquietude of human hearts. Beneath or alongside or mingled with that disquietude, perhaps you have felt an amorphous but insistent longing, a yearning for truer modes of belonging, for fulsome forms of resonance that do not depend for their depth or intensity on the thrill of novelty, fascination with the forbidden, or the gravity of violence. In a word, longing for home. In our first reading, the land of Judah is in the midst of extreme geopolitical upheaval. 
After a series of truly incompetent or downright corrupt kings, Israel has now dwindled to the geography around the city of Jerusalem, and God has the people in a long timeout to feel the failure of this long line of kings who have forgotten to love God and love neighbor their people. And God tells them through Jeremiah to sit tight and wait it out. Let the Assyrians or the Babylonians keep you in submission. God figures it'll take 70 years to learn to return to him. When you are the defeated ones, for generations under the thumb of foreign governments, your land and people exploited, when you lose your extended family, your home, in the many waves of deportation, worshiping the gods of the winners seems to be the thing to do. My God has forsaken me. Guess I'll throw my lot in with this strong king and his little gods. What does anything matter when everything is awry? In today's reading, Jeremiah is confronting the false prophet Hananiah. Hananiah has just made a very happy little prophecy. Listen to me, he says, it's all good. In two years' time, God will bring back all the valuable priestly items and refurnish the temple. Put a good king in place and bring all the exiles back. Bring you home. Leaving Jeremiah again to tell the people they've got to wait for it. Later, the Lord says to Jeremiah, I am going to restore the fortunes of the tents of Jacob and have compassion on his dwellings. God promises to restore the covenant. The home of God, God reminds them, is not in a temple or even in their houses stolen from them, but in relationship. You shall be my people and I will be your God. Nearly 700 years later, in the time of Jesus, the land of Israel, the home of the faithful, is still under siege. All has been awry for centuries. It's occupied now by the Roman government with order maintained by the Roman army, all with generous accommodation by the Jewish temple leadership. A faithful Jew, one of the apostles maybe, or any number of men in the crowds who follow Jesus might tell you they are ready to fight to put a Jewish king solidly on the throne, fight for where they believe God dwells with them, so great is their longing for their ancestral home. That's the context in which Jesus commissions his 12 disciples. We've been hearing that the last couple of weeks, sending them out to restore people to health and wholeness by casting out demons, curing every sickness and disease, raising the dead, doing the gospel. Today, we hear Jesus finish his instructions to the disciples by telling them his most important call to them, to provide hospitality. Whoever welcomes you welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. That giving a drink of cold water to the young, the weak, the least is a righteous and holy act of hospitality that one offers in the household of God. The home of God is a place of welcome. I find myself blessed to be here in this house of God, Beautiful windows, beautiful woodwork and stonework, beautiful organ pipes. 
And I've been thinking about the sign in front of Westminster Presbyterian Church on West End Avenue. Maybe you have seen it too, passed by it. The sign out front says, Westminster Presbyterian Church gathers here. It's not the building, it's the people. The community called to provide holy hospitality. I told my mom about that sign one afternoon when she was choked up about moving from her home and the things she was leaving behind. The stuff, as Bernadette Peters says in one of my favorite movies. I agreed that a house that held so many memories was dear and leaving means grieving. But her memories were here and her family were still gathered around her. It's not the building, it's the people. Her home is with dad in a new space they will fill with new life. This beautiful place is the home of all the echoes of all those souls whose feet have walked this aisle up and down to communion, to your pew, to the baptismal font. All the joys and sorrows and exiles and reunions and restorations to new life, all the farewells to good and faithful servants, the home of God is us, God with us. In this place where we've been provided holy hospitality and where we hope to learn to do the work of Jesus, providing proverbial cups of cold water to one another and to the whole disquieting world gone awry outside these doors, may we grow in the image and likeness of God together. We're embarking on a new season with a new to you interim rector a full-time priest on sabbatical, a capital campaign underway and the likelihood of construction in the near future. So many changes, so much to process together. And maybe you feel some anxiety about all the changes in here, feel disquietude about what's in the future here, maybe even that things are somehow awry. So even as walls may open up next year with demolition and construction, this is where we live and move and have our being. In the push and pull, the wrangling that church construction inevitably brings, the strong feelings about the spaces in which we live out our sacramental lives. Remember who we are and whose we are. Remember the call to be hospitable, to be for one another home. We long for family, for safe dwelling with God, for home. But friends, we're the ones called to provide it. Jesus calls you and me to make hospitality, to offer the cold cup of water, to welcome one another in again and again. He makes us a holy temple, acceptable to the God who loves us and sends us out to do the work he has given us to do. And it is in our midst that we create home, the home of God.